Um, yeah, so before we get started, I just want to again, um, for those watching, make them aware of Brian's uh, ministry. Um, he's in North Dakota right now, I believe, doing a homeschool conference. So just pray for their safe travels as they return home. Um, if you are interested, patreon.com slash creation instruction. Um, there's ways to give there um, and have access to um, all of his materials that he has. So I would like to pray and then we'll get going. Lord God, we love you. We praise you. I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me tonight. Um, Lord, my words are worthless in comparison to your infallible word. May that be the tool that is used in addressing this subject tonight. Lord, speak through me, and may we all be edified by what there is to learn in this message. I love you. Amen. Um, my message for tonight is that revival, praying for revival. Um, yeah, that brings to mind a very powerful interview that came out back in 2005. It was in the Baptist Press by James T. Draper, Jr. And I'll just read it. This is how it starts. And I'm just reading, this is copied and pasted from the article. It said, the interview was wrapping up when a reporter with the International Mission Board asked a prominent leader in the rapidly expanding Chinese house church movement how American Christians could pray for the house churches in China. Stop praying for persecution in China to end, he responded, for it is through persecution that the church has grown. What astounding faith, I thought when I heard this story. However, my admiration of his faith was quickly tempered by what he said next. We, in fact, are praying that the American church might taste the same persecution, he said. So revival would come to the American church like we have seen it in China. It goes on. Once I recovered from the shock of such a profound statement, I thought about the irony. We in America keep praying for God to bless us. And as Christians in other nations, oh, and Christians in other nations are praying God will allow us to experience persecution so that we'll act like the blessing we were made to be. I shudder at the thought that we are on the road to persecution brought on because of our own arrogance. Again, this was back in 2005. Ooh, what a humbling request. What a gut punch, right? Now, is there anything wrong with praying for blessing? No. But have we made that the whole picture? Stop praying for persecution in China to end, for it's through persecution the church has grown. And we're praying for the American church to taste that same persecution so that revival would come to the American church like we've seen it. Hmm. It sounds like something that Jesus would say, or Paul, or Peter, or James, or any of the other disciples or apostles, letters to the early church. What a polarizing contrast. 
we pray for blessing, they pray for persecution, and for, for theirs and ours. Hmm. Sometimes, I've written here, um, we have what we have in mind for the answer to our prayers is wildly different than what God has in mind for his answers to our prayers. We pray for blessing. Well, I suppose it, mean, it matters what you mean by being blessed. By being blessed, do we have in our mind comfort, prosperity, safety, health, happiness? I mean, yeah, I do. When I pray for my kids, I pray that, or with my kids, I, I pray that God would keep us safe. There's nothing inherently wrong with those, but again, it's not the whole picture. Or by blessing do we mean, or should we mean, our sanctification, being conformed more into the image of Christ our Lord through the purifying of our souls and the testing of our faith. Hmm. It reminds me of a poem. It's called, I Asked God. It says, I asked God for strength, and God gave me difficulties to make me strong. I asked for wisdom, and God gave me the problems to solve. I asked for prosperity, and God gave me brawn and brain to work. I asked for courage, and God gave me dangers to overcome. I asked for patience, and God placed me in situations where I was forced to wait. I asked for love, and God gave me troubled people to help. I asked for favors, and God gave me opportunities. I received nothing I wanted. I received everything I needed. My prayer has been answered. Hmm we should consider what we're praying for. We should consider God's desires over ours. Hey. Yes. <laughs> we want to experience true revival. Not to say that what's happening isn't or won't be, but true revival, revival to the heart of God, to grow the kingdom, and to live a godly life in Christ. If we want that, then we will suffer. Remember 2 Timothy 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. seems that those in other nations have embraced and endured they're suffering. The question is, are we embracing and enduring ours? That brings us to our topic, suffering. I'm going to ask for your guys' grace because this was, for whatever reason, just really difficult for me to put together this week. Um, I got done at 4.38 today and I started on Thursday. I had Thursday and Friday off, so it was... I don't know. I'm going to be really looking at my notes a lot, so just forgive me. Um, but this is now will be the third topic that I have covered um, because I believe many in the church have avoided or misunderstood these topics. Um, I understand that due to the severity and discomfort that are synonymous with these topics, topics you know, I did wrath. Wrath is not easy. Fear, fear in the Lord, fear in the Lord is not easy. 
And suffering certainly isn't easy, and it certainly doesn't get butts in the pews, and it certainly doesn't increase the, uh, the amount of money brought into the church, which is why I think it has been, they, those three have been avoided. But I do believe it is vital that we have a proper understanding of these difficult aspects of life. Um, my goal with these broad overviews that I've done is to provoke anyone who hears them to look further into what I'm claiming. Or, well, not me, but what the Word of God says. Um, I try not to give my own thoughts since they would be worthless in comparison to God's infallible words. Um, so tonight my hope is to provide scripture upon scripture upon scripture in order to bring clarity to what is a very complex and difficult aspect of life. Yes, I know, this can be a very touchy subject. And perhaps you're listening to this or watching it or thinking to yourself, what does he have to say about suffering? He doesn't know. He hasn't experienced any pain or sorrow compared to me or this person or that person. What does he know? I, I would just ask that again. Just be gracious with me as I simply point to what God's word says and not to anything that I have gone through. Only God's word. So, suffering. Upon doing my research, I was quickly overwhelmed with the amount of articles and resources and books and sermons out there regarding suffering. It is vast. And on top of that, if you've read the Bible, even a little bit or the whole thing, hopefully, it is very evident that suffering is prevalent throughout and is a main aspect of our fallen humanity. Essentially, God created, man sinned, suffering. That's basically it. So my aim is to try and simplify this and to try and answer these four basic questions that in all these sermons, all these articles, it really seemed to all boil down to these four questions. What is suffering? Why do we suffer? What does suffering produce? And how do we suffer rightly? So, first question. What is suffering? How do we define something seemingly so complex and widespread? Well, I like definitions, and the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia states that suffering is as follows. Um, I'll read through just read through it quick, um, to experience or to go through or to endure, to put up with, to tolerate, to undergo punishment, to sustain loss, suffer death. Now, as Christians, suffering belongs to the discipline of all Christ's followers. Such suffering is called a suffering for God's or Christ's sake. This fellowship in suffering unites us with the saints of God in all times and is indeed a fellowship with the Lord himself who uses this discipline to mold us more and more according to his character. I think that's an excellent definition of what suffering is. Um, yeah, suffering, it's anything painful, physical, emotional, spiritual, sickness, grief, loss, death, discipline, persecution, turmoil, sinning, being sinned against. Life is suffering, right? Life is suffering. 
Yes, we as Christians are redeemed from the curse of sin and death, but we are still afflicted by our sinful nature. Yes, our restoration is promised if we are in Christ, but until then, we will face suffering. It's simply unavoidable. Suffering, suffering, this all seems evil. Isn't suffering evil? If God loves us, surely he wouldn't allow us to suffer. Suffer. <laughs> Forgive me, it's helpful. <laughs> suffer, right? Um, Adam Harwood, uh, he recently released a, a publication, uh, a book just called Christian Theology. And in it, he draws a necessary distinction um, between evil and suffering. So I'll just read it. Evil and suffering should be distinguished. The concepts overlap, but they should not be confused. Job suffered, and he experienced acts of evil, implemented by Satan, but prompted and allowed by God. Assyria brought God-appointed judgment on the Israelites. Their punishment was just, not evil. Should the brutal beating and execution of the Son of God, an innocent man, be called evil? Certainly Jesus suffered. One theologian writes, the most evil deed of all history, the crucifixion of Christ, was ordained by God. Not just the fact that it would occur, but also the individual actions connected with it. The events of the cross were perpetrated by sinful men who accomplished God's perfect plan. What others intended for evil, whether they were men, we can remember Joseph, or Satan, in Job's case, God can use for good. The problem of evil and suffering requires careful consideration when addressing the doctrine of providence. All evil is evil. But all suffering is not evil. Certainly, we are experiencing suffering that is evil, but not always. So to simplify and, and summarize all that, um, I would say that suffering and our response to suffering are a catalyst to the process of sanctification. Um, any young people in here, if you don't know what catalyst means, catalyst is an agent that provokes or speeds significant change or action. If you've read the Bible, it's clear. God uses our suffering to aid in our sanctification, to make us more holy, to conform us to the image of his son Jesus, to cleanse us of sin and impurity, and to build a firm faith and a steadfastness of heart. That is suffering. So, why? Why do we suffer? Hmm. Again, I'm going back to Adam Harwood in his publication of Christian Theology. He argues that there are five instances in which suffering occurs. And upon doing my own research and seeing what other um, theologians and pastors and ministries say, this lines up with all of them. Maybe a little bit different verbiage, but the same, um, same message. First, we suffer... Well, suffering occurs under judgment of sin. 
some examples he gives, simple ones. Um, humanity in the days of Noah. They're wicked. God wiped them out. Judgment of sin. Another good example, Israel and their wandering in the desert for 40 years due to their sin. And the obvious example is humanity. Since the fall, we sin, and sin has consequences. Temporal for Christians, right? But temporal and eternal for non-Christians. Two, suffering occurs for no stated reason, though its desired outcome is sometimes mentioned. He points to Ecclesiastes, and if you read Ecclesiastes, you'll see that it declares that the events of life include time and chance, and evil times fall unexpectedly on all people without reason. He says, consider John 9, the man born blind. You know, they pass him. The disciples ask Christ, whose sin is to blame for this man's blindness? Who is to blame? Jesus says, no one. No one's to blame. It's not that he sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Hmm. Suffering is mysterious. Sometimes we just don't have an answer. But we can trust that God is good and that he is working even when we don't understand what's happening. Third, sometimes suffering occurs when God tests individuals. Um, I more so just copied this segment that he wrote down because it's fairly short. He says, testing is not the same as tempting. Tests reveal a person's heart but temptations are enticements by the flesh or Satan to sin. Jesus was tempted by Satan, yet did not sin. God does not tempt anyone, but yes, he sometimes tests them. Consider Abraham, when God tested his faith by calling him to sacrifice Isaac. I imagine that was a moment of pretty severe suffering. Consider Job. He suffered, or his suffering was a test allowed by God. Yet the suffering was inflicted by Satan. Yes, some suffering is a result of God testing us. And it's important to remember that so that we do not sin in our response to God's testing. Abraham and Job could have easily sinned and rebelled in their test. But they endured. They remained steadfast and they passed the test. Fourthly, suffering occurs at the hands of sinful people, although God can redeem and use those events for his good. Remember, he mentioned Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. That was evil, but God used it for good. It says that many people should be kept alive. He also stated before that, yes, Christ suffered and was killed by sinful, evil people. It's no secret, obviously, that his suffering and death was necessary for our salvation, and it was in accordance with God's will. Yes, even when suffering occurs at the hands of sinful people, 
when evil happens to us, God can use those sinful actions of people and redeem tragic circumstances for good purposes. Lastly, suffering occurs when people do good or because of their witness for Christ. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, consider the disciples, their testimony. They were all beaten, tortured, martyred for doing good and for furthering the kingdom of God, for remaining steadfast to the gospel. Remember, we read earlier, 2 Timothy 3, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. These are the reasons that we suffer. I did find this interesting. I won't spend a whole lot of time on it, even though there is a lot here. Um, There were multiple ministries um, and sermons that all had this this list of 14 kinds of suffering. So this was just a screenshot from one of those sermons. And it lists them. Um, If you want to take a screenshot of it or come back to the video after Brian posts it and visit it, you certainly can. But... um, Yeah, it it lines up. These are all different types of suffering that we see in the Bible and and that we experience. Um, So, why do we suffer? Because we live in a fallen world. And that world groans for Christ's return and for all to be made right again. So, We know what suffering is. We know why we suffer. What does suffering produce? I'm going to have a lot of verses up on the screen. Not going to read through the entirety of them for time's sake. Um, Julia, I expect you to keep me honest that my uh, chapter and verses are in line. Because I messed up last time. The... I think the one that comes to the forefront of most people's minds. Romans 5, 1-8. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I will continue. Paul calls us to rejoice in our sufferings. clarify what types of sufferings very very he didn't narrow it down he said rejoice in your sufferings Mm. why because it produces endurance endurance then produces character and character produces hope yes life is full of difficulty and suffering the difference is 
for those who take the name of the Lord, and hopefully not in vain, that suffering now produces endurance for the difficulties of life, which ultimately bring about our sanctification. 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we abundantly, or we share abundantly in comfort too. Second Thessalonians 1. Therefore we, bo- we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is the evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Yes, our suffering, which brings the comfort of God, that's a promise, so hold tight to that. It brings the comfort of God and it helps us learn to comfort others who are in affliction. This is evident in some of the hardest trials that life throws at us. We find comfort and counsel when we are able to confide in others who have gone ahead of us and experienced similar tragedies. And then 2 Thessalonians, the, the Thessalonian church, they are remaining steadfast under persecution. They are enduring their suffering. Suffering that we know, again, which comes when you accept Christ as your Lord. This produces their being made worthy of the kingdom of God for which they are suffering. Wow. Our suffering makes us worthy. 2 Timothy 2. um, Probably just read a bit of the highlighted portions here. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Continue down further. Therefore, I endure suffering for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Yes, you take the name of the Lord, you are in his army. Suffer together as good soldiers in Christ. And if we suffer, and if we endure, and if we do not lose heart, if we remain faithful to the calling God has put on his church, we will reign with him. Clarity, this is not works salvation. This is simply the reward that suffering produces. 2 Timothy 4. um, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Uh, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only me, but also to those who have loved his appearing. 
Endure suffering. Finish the race. Keep the faith. This will produce what? A crown of righteousness, which God himself will reward to us. Hold on to that promise. Hebrews 12, a lot here. Uh, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. It continues, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Is my son in here? Oh, yeah. The one who's able to comprehend what I'm saying. Roland, remember that verse. Look to Jesus, who joyfully endured his suffering for our sake. Consider how he endured so that we may imitate his example and not grow weary. Understand that God loves us and because he loves us, he disciplines us. Why? In order to produce righteousness within us. Continuing on. James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It continues down to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Be joyful for the sufferings and the trials of life, knowing that it tests our faith. And that testing produces steadfastness which leads to our perfection and our completeness. And I'm not sure I can really comprehend that. I know Jesus is our perfection, and he makes us complete. So if our suffering makes us steadfast and draws us closer to him, and he brings about our perfection and completion, then bring on the suffering. Remain steadfast under trials. This produces, again, the crown of life. First Peter Peter's got a lot. Uh, I will skip down kind of toward verse 6 there. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, that that may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, suffering tests the genuineness of our faith. Trial by fire, if you will. 
a refiner's fire. This produces praise and glory and honor at Christ's return. 2 Corinthians, last one here. 2 Corinthians 4. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. I'll continue. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I just want to go down to that very last verse. Light and momentary. Hmm. That's tough. Think of the worst pains in life. Think of the millions of children murdered by abortion. Think of those martyred and tortured for their faith in Christ. Think of those under the hell of human trafficking and sex slavery. Death, loss, disease, cancers, Light and momentary. In comparison to the glory that will be revealed. Mm. Mm. Praise God for that. All these are preparing us for His glory. So, reminder. A recap, what does suffering produce? Endurance, character, hope, Christ's comfort, the ability to comfort others, worthy consideration of the kingdom of God, a crown of righteousness, discipline, sonship, righteousness, steadfastness, perfection, completion, God's praise, God's honor, his glory, the manifesting of Jesus' life in our mortal bodies, and preparation for the glory of eternity. That is why we suffer. This is what it produces. All right. Easier said than done. How? How do we suffer rightly? We understand what it is. We understand why. We understand what it produces. But how do we suffer rightly? Talked about how suffering, remember, it's the catalyst that produces sanctification. It can draw our hearts closer to the Lord, but handled wrongly can easily cause us to sin. So how do we suffer rightly? It's important that we learn a right response when faced with suffering in our lives, knowing that it will conform us more to the image of Christ. I'd like to go to Ecclesiastes 7. It says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Be joyful in the day of prosperity. Absolutely. And we certainly have experienced 
our fair share of prosperity, especially here in America, haven't we? Mm, but in the day of adversity, consider. God is sovereign over both prosperity and adversity, over both blessing and suffering. Daryl B. Harrison, forgive me, in the Just Thinking podcast, episode 121, A Biblical Theology of Suffering, I would highly recommend you all listen to it. Very good. He states, if we as professing believers in Jesus Christ can grasp and apply the reality of Ecclesiastes 7.14, which is a one-verse testament to the sovereignty of God in every aspect of our lives, we will mature in Christ-like patience and endurance, regardless of how suffering might providentially manifest itself in our life. So very well said. Regardless, regardless of how suffering manifests itself, God has made one and he has made the other. Just a few things to consider. Um, this is from the publication entitled The Doctrine of Suffering by J. Hampton Keithley III. Um, he just gives five Questions to consider, I won't spend a lot of time on here for time's sake, but I do think they're worth considering. When suffering comes, how am I responding to it? How should I respond to it? Am I learning from it? Does my response demonstrate faith, love for God and for others, Christ-like character, values, commitment, priorities, etc.? And lastly, how can God use it in my life? These are good things to consider. It's also good to remember, and appropriate to remember, Job. In the conclusion, God has answered and Job responds. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. We suffer rightly by accepting that there are things we don't and won't understand for the time being. The things of the Lord are, as Job said, too wonderful for us to understand. We suffer rightly by learning from examples that God has given us in people like Job and Abraham. Job, blameless and upright Job. Surely we can't put ourselves in such an esteemed category. I can't. I don't know about you guys, but I can't. And yet he humbled himself before the Lord and confessed that God's ways are higher and better, even when we don't understand. Before I continue with my proof texts for suffering rightly, I would like to address one area of contention, and this is probably going to ruffle some feathers, maybe not here, but maybe elsewhere. Um... I think probably in America, the largest area of contention when it comes to suffering is sickness and health. Isn't Jesus the all-sufficient healer? Does suffering really include sickness? Is that what God is calling us to? 
when he calls us to suffer rightly, sickness, disability, and disease, isn't it God's will to always heal? Well, I would like to share with you an amazing, amazing brother of Christ, Nick Vojacic. And that is how you pronounce that. I wrote down the pronunciation. <laughs> Nick Vojacic, incredible brother of Christ. He was born with no arms or legs. It does appear that he has a tiny little foot, so he does have that. Um, but through the power of Christ, he has become a world-renowned speaker, New York Times best-selling author, uh, coach, and entrepreneur. There's no doubt that he has lived a life of suffering, but he has done it rightly and well. Recently, in an interview that I watched with him and Dallas Jenkins, uh, the creator of The Chosen, um, Nick comments on this question, is it God's or the statement, it is God's will to always heal. He says, I'm sorry, but God doesn't always heal. He always saves our soul. He'll always heal our broken heart. He'll renew our minds, but Christians die in car accidents. Christians die of cancer. Christians remain crippled. And yet, he says, I've seen 13 miracles with my own eyes. Blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, lame people walking, crooked backs come straight, legs becoming even with my own eyes. So the access to God's healing, indeed we have. Yet, the people who do say that we should always be healed, actually, they are putting God in a box. We don't know what we don't know. So don't you dare tell God that you've got a greater plan than him. And don't you tell me that the best plan you could ever imagine is for God to heal me. Just because, just because God gives you a physical miracle doesn't mean that you're going to be closest to him. The miracle of miracles is abiding in God and God abiding in you. Hmm. Amen. Does God heal? Absolutely. Jesus healed and is still healing today. No questions asked. Miraculous healings still take place. But that, oh, forgive me, uh, that doesn't mean then that it's always, 100% of the time, God's will to heal. If, if that were so, wouldn't that then mean that we have to be the perfectors of Christ's power by rightly advocating before the Father an appropriate type of prayer or a certain level of faith as if saying the correct words and, and believing the correct beliefs and having enough faith is what brings about God's healing? I understand the importance of faith, but I, I think this is a very, very dangerous and misconstrued belief. It puts a burden on our shoulders to figure out how to unlock God's will of healing in our lives. Now that could be a heavy burden to bear, especially when God doesn't heal. If it's God's will to heal, and we aren't, why not? Because we're holding up the train. Mm. So, if you are someone who believes this, you're going to have to show me the verses. Show me the proof text. Show me the context. Let Scripture examine Scripture. I just don't see it. However, I am willfully open to correction and open rebuke if I am wrong.
I agree with Nick. Suffering still remains, including infirmities. But God's plan, God's plans are greater. And we can be so short-sighted and focused on the flesh. When we only focus on the healing that Jesus did and the Holy Spirit did, and is, yes, still doing today through the body of Christ, we lose sight of the rest of Scripture and how God used, is using, and will continue to use suffering to bring about sanctification and ultimately to bring him glory. That includes sickness and infirmity. So perhaps you're watching this and listening and you're upset, you disagree. Just please understand my heart. My heart is for truth and to better understand God's word and to better understand suffering and suffer rightly. Is it God's will to heal? Yes, sometimes. And God will be glorified when he does. Is it God's will to heal always? No, I don't believe so. And God will, one way or another, use our infirmity to bring glory to his name. A proof text for that. Won't spend a lot of time here. 2 Corinthians 12, you can go there. Um, won't read it, but it's the thorn in the flesh that was given to Paul. Why? To keep him from becoming conceited. Three times he asked God to take it away. But Jesus said, and it is red letters, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Proof texts for how we suffer rightly. James 5. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Continue on. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Continues. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. How do we suffer rightly? With patience. Founding our hearts on the promise of Christ's return. First Peter 2. For it is a gracious thing when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, forgive me, and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. Continue. He was reviled. He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. How do we suffer rightly? We do not return evil with evil. We return evil with good. Romans 12, 21 says that essentially. 1 Peter 3 even if, you have, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness 
and respect. Continuing on. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. How do we suffer rightly? By honoring Christ as Lord in our heart, always being prepared to defend the faith and doing so with gentleness and respect. First Peter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when, he, when his glory is revealed. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Lastly, those, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. How do we suffer rightly? We arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, focusing on the will of God, knowing that that will give us the power to cease from sinning. We rejoice that we are sharing in the same sufferings as Christ so that we will rejoice when his glory is revealed. How do we suffer rightly? By entrusting our souls to God who is faithful in doing good, knowing that we suffer according to his will. A note on that, according to his will. There is some discussion and debate. What is meant by we will suffer according to his will? Is that we will respond to suffer rightly according to his will? Or that we will suffer because it is his will? I think the clear answer is yes to both. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Lastly, 1 Peter 5, skip a bunch in the beginning. It says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind, kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. How do we suffer rightly? By clothing ourselves with humility, by being sober-minded and watchful and resisting the devil, standing firm in our faith and being reassured that our brothers and sisters throughout the world are suffering the same sufferings alongside us. We're in this together. So, to recap, how do we suffer rightly? Being patient, not grumbling, remaining steadfast, enduring as Christ endured, repaying evil with good, honor Christ in our hearts, being ready to defend your faith by putting on the mind of Christ, by not being caught off guard, by entrusting our souls to God, to his will, to his faithfulness, by practicing humility, 
being sober-minded and watchful by resisting the attacks of the enemy. This is how we suffer rightly. Hmm. Does anybody recognize this picture? I'll cover it. I just wanted to know if anybody recognized it. I'll cover it. <sighs> to suffer rightly. This picture, man, it's an amazing moment. <sighs> From the trial of Amanda Geiger, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name. The lady is Amanda. The man in that picture is named Brant Jean. This was back in October of 2019. Amber was on trial for the killing of Botham Jean, Brant's older brother. If you remember, it was just an absolutely tragic situation. Um, she was a police officer, worked a very long shift, came home from work, unfortunately parked on the wrong floor of her apartment complex um, and entered the wrong apartment, which was... Uh, occupied by Botham. It was his apartment. She was confused. As, as a police officer, chaos ensued, did not think clearly. Chaos ensued, and shots were fired, and Botham Jean was killed. And it was just, yeah, it was an absolute mess because she was so remorseful. It was the gravest mistake of her existence, and she was sentenced to 10 years in prison. But during the trial... While on the stand, Botham's brother, uh, Brant, he gave the most God-honoring display of suffering rightly. He said in a clip that was recorded, he said, I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I personally want the best for you. I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's exactly what Botham would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I love you as a person and I don't wish anything bad on you. And then he says to the judge, I don't know if this is possible, but can I hug her please? Please. The judge grants him permission and they embrace in the courtroom. Man, if you haven't seen the clip, it's life-changing. It's amazing. It is a remarkable display of compassion and forgiveness and suffering rightly. Mm. I hope I've made it clear that suffering is doing something in us. That God is using it for our sanctification and for his glory. Does it always make sense? No. Will it always be difficult? Yes. It will always be difficult. Will God use it for our good? You can count on it. Yes and amen. This is good news. But the best news of all, it will not last. Revelation 21. I know we're not there yet, so sorry, Brian, for spoiling this part. I think we've all read the story. We know how it ends. <laughs> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. To the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Our suffering will one day be no more. Do not lose heart. This world, its afflictions, they are momentary and light in comparison to the glory that will be revealed in eternity. Believers, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. Christ in us. We can endure suffering. We can remain steadfast. We can suffer rightly. We can look to those who have gone before us and have given everything, everything for their king and for his kingdom. Look to Jesus who suffered the ultimate pain of God's wrath upon the cross. Look to his example and follow him. Suffer like he did. He is our perfection. He is our completeness. He is our righteousness. He's the foundation of all that we are. It's good to remember Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, all who are suffering, and I will give you rest. Praise God. To close, I would like to go to Lamentations. An often neglected book recounts and laments the suffering of loss and pain and destruction as a result of being unfaithful to God. It's a heavy book. And yet in the midst of the pain and the hurt and the suffering, there is this key central theme. And that is that God is faithful and merciful and belief in him, in his faith, and in his mercy is the key to having a restored relationship with him. The writer, uh, presumably Jeremiah, though that is not for certain, painfully recounts the suffering he experienced. Lamentations 3, starting at 18. 1 through 18 is rough, I will tell you. He has suffered. says, so my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Is it gall or gale? Gall. gall. My soul continually remembers it 
and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And it goes on for probably another 40 verses. But it would benefit us to remember this. Man, guys, life is hard. Life is suffering. Even in the midst of our suffering, God's steadfast love never ceases. His mercies never come to an end for those who are his children. They are new every morning. His faithfulness to us is great even when we are unfaithful and are suffering the consequences of our unfaithfulness. Remember 2 Peter 3, the Lord is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is good to those who wait for him. Mm. Our world is growing darker and darker every day. Suffering is going to increase. I can promise you that. Prepare your hearts. Prepare your minds. But remember the steadfast love of the Lord. Remember his faithfulness. Wait patiently for his salvation. Endure until the end. Let's pray. Lord, may we never forget this. May we never forget that your steadfast love never ceases and that your mercies are new for us every morning. God, this is a difficult thing. Suffering is difficult and it is not fun. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. But God, we know that you love us. And that because you love us, you will use, yes, even our sufferings to draw us closer to your heart. To sanctify our souls. To cleanse us from sin and impurity. Or teach us to suffer rightly. Teach us to recognize it when it comes upon us. Teach us to consider Teach us to respond rightly. Lord, we love you. Lord, thank you for this body. Lord, thank you for Christians in places like China that are praying for our persecution so that we may see revival like they are experiencing. God, I don't know, to speak honestly and bluntly, I don't know if the church in America wants that type of revival. 
But I know that through the trial, through the refining fire, through the suffering of those trials, that they would see the goodness that comes from persecution. Lord, strengthen us in these dark days. You are good. You are so good. Teach us to keep in mind that all of our afflictions, in comparison to what you have in store for us, that they are light and momentary. Blessed be the name of the Lord, the King of the universe. Amen.